the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This story is interesting. I don't often have a lot of guests on who would describe themselves as being to the political left of Bernie Sanders. Uh, the conversations don't always go well. Uh, we try to make them go well. We'll get callers who may be that way, even if they don't describe themselves as such, but they may have those views. We try to make them as civil as possible. But um, I'm about to have a guest on who is that, who describes herself as being to the left of Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders is an avowed socialist. So you're probably thinking this is going to be a battle royal. Well, it's not, because we are like-minded on something very, very important, and that is trying to protect confused young kids who have been influenced and whose minds have been warped oftentimes by the social contagion known as transgender ideology by some, child groom, victims of child grooming and adolescent uh, uh, misdirection and so forth. It's happening on TikTok. It's happening on Instagram. It's happening, sadly, in too many schools and even in some families where parents looking for clout are really, really not joking um, uh, you know, enjoying sitting at lunch with their friends and saying, yeah, I've got, uh, I've got three kids. Two of them are non-binary and one of them is trans. And it's like, no, you don't. You can't. It is a statistical impossibility because the number of people who have actual diagnosed gender dysphoria, which is a psychological condition, is, is so minute. It is impossible. You have encouraged your kids to identify as something else. That's the reality of the social contagion that is going on. And uh, this has become evident to a lot of people, including our guest. Jamie Reed describes herself as a 42-year-old St. Louis native and a queer woman uh, and who is, again, politically to the left of Bernie Sanders. She had been working for a tra- transgender clinic the Washington University Transgender Center at the St. Louis Children's Hospital. She started there in 2018. She left there last year in 2022. And now she's literally blowing the whistle on what goes on at these clinics. So let's welcome Jamie Reed to our program. Jamie, thank you so very much for joining us here in Cleveland. It's good to have you. How are you this morning? I'm doing so, so good. And your introduction was amazing. I found myself wanting to fist bump in the air. So many agreements, yes. Thank you for that. I'm glad we've got the virtual fist bump going on. and That's fantastic. Jamie, I'm having a little hard time hearing you. Are you on a regular phone or are you on a speaker by chance or a Bluetooth? Let me let me get you regular phone. Here we go. So much better. Thank you. Yeah, it was going to be tough. It was a little echoey, so I couldn't quite hear exactly what you said about the fist bumps. But thank you, uh, and I appreciate that very much. So, so Jamie... Um, this isn't going to be a political discussion, so you have no concerns about that. The fact that you, I would love to have you on someday if you want to talk politics. And we'll talk, I'll talk about it from my, you know, my Reagan conservatism, and you can talk about it from your Bernie socialism, and, and we'll have a great debate. But we are, we are not debating here. I want to tell your story, and I want to actually help you amplify the story that you are already telling about your experiences. So, so I really appreciate you doing this. Tell me, first of all, when you got to that transgender center in St. Louis in 2018, what was your role? What, what was you, what, what did you, what did you, what was your role and what did you think you were signing up for at this place? 
So I was the medical case manager in the center. We had a team of about eight individuals. I probably was one of two managers working with trans kids in the entire state of Missouri. I was basically fulfilling the role that a social worker would, but I have a master's of science in clinical research. So I was also managing our data sets and managing some of our later clinical research that we are attempting to do also. Okay. Um, so give, give me a, a sense of what that means to be a case manager. Are, what, are you counseling? Are you intaking uh, potential patients? Or what, what exactly do you, were your responsibilities? Yeah, so I actually did the intake assessment for every patient that came into our center from 2018 on. It would be a initial intake with parents. It would take anywhere between 30 minutes to an hour, but I would assess and make recommendations and then triage to which providers we were going to schedule with. I did see a lot of patients directly in the center, and I did a lot of counseling, care around suicidal ideation. I knew how to get someone's name legally changed and gender marker. So I was doing a lot of the resourcing and referring for follow-up care needs also. Okay. So parents are bringing these kids in, right? Uh, did they, Was that a requirement? Were, were kids who were under 18 allowed to come in and seek uh, assistance on their own? They were not supposed to, no. So if you were under the age of 18, you needed to come in with at least one parent or legal guardian. But some of the problems I started seeing is that we were excluding the other parents often. And what do you mean by a problem? Why was that a problem? So we would have families who one parent wanted to give their kids puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones and the other parent did not want to do that and instead wanted their child to have more therapy. And we were taking sides and we were um, we were siding with the parent who wanted to medically transition their kids, sometimes all the way to the extent where our doctors were going into court and they were arguing on behalf of the parent who wanted to medicalize their kid and helping parents get full legal custody. That is terrifying, uh, to be quite honest. Uh, and I have heard of cases like that. Some of them have made the news. Maybe there have been lawsuits filed, and that's why it's become news. Um, and, and there are parents who are being denied a right to have a role in their kid's life because the belief is, at least according to the medical professionals, and I use that term in air quotes because I do not believe some of these people are medical professionals. I think these people are profit-driven. But in their, in their opinion, it, it is gender-affirming and life-saving to go on with the, you know, with the transitioning. And the parent that is trying to stop that from happening is actually going to do harm to their child. Is that the working premise of these clinics and of these doctors? What's interesting is I wouldn't even characterize some of these other parents as wanting to stop it. Oftentimes, it was a dad who just wanted more mental health care and more time. So it was oftentimes a parent who would say, hey, my kid has only been saying this for like six months. Can we give it a year? Can we get them to a psychologist who's kind of neutral on this and see if we can support their mental health and give it more time. It was rarely another parent who was just blatantly saying, no, I'm completely opposed. They just wanted more time and better 
mental health care. And that was what was becoming such a tragedy to me is we were locking these parents out. Okay. So and thank you for that clarification. Uh, and and I, I can understand that. I can I think there are a little bit of both. I think or not both. I think those are two of many reactions that parents can have to these kinds of things. And if some would say, no, you're not. You are being you're confused right now and you're taking in a lot of bad information. No, uh, we're not doing it. Others saying, hey, let's explore this a little bit more carefully with, a, you know, with some psychological counseling and so forth. Um, what kind of ages are we talking about here that you saw on average? I think our youngest was five. Five? Five. Yes. A parent or parents brought a five-year-old in to say, let's explore uh, gender transition. Because we Absolutely. think of these things as being adolescents. We think about it being preteen or maybe teens, of course. Um, but five. Now, that that is an astounding thing. So I'm assuming, considering the fact that you left and you are now, quote-unquote, blowing the whistle on some of the things that are going on at these clinics, there came a point where you were in stark disagreement with um, the, the I don't know, the other doctors or the other people at the clinic who, who were not taking up for or listening to the parent um, who was saying, hey, let's pump the brakes here a little bit. Let's get, some, let's get some psychological intervention and mental health going on here. Did you speak out against or in, in, in favor of that for, for these particular parents? Absolutely. I was advocating not just for parents, but also I feel like I was advocating for actually following a strict concept of the guidelines. I think part of where so many of these centers have gone completely off the rails is that they are interpreting and and saying that these guidelines basically say if, if a kid wants these treatments, then at least one parent is willing to say yes, they are they're just willing to prescribe even outside of, you know, I think there's almost this myth out there in the United States that everybody's gone through these really in-depth long-term assessments. And we were medicalizing kids who had seen a therapist once for one visit. And you can't even really get a good sense of somebody's background or functioning in one visit yet these therapists were saying yep they're good to go because of the kids that came in and said i'm trans there's no exploration happening it is merely a rubber stamp yep here you go so what did they say to you when you would raise these concerns did they just dismiss you and you know know your role go stay in your lane over there we'll handle this how did those go um you know i actually wasn't alone um there were a few others on case-by-case basis who would absolutely agree with my assessment. But one of the most chilling things was I said to one of the doctors, I believe that we are hurting, we are harming patients. And the response was, I know, but I don't know what you think I can do about it. I thought the role of a doctor was to do no harm to a patient, to find solutions for patients ailments, whatever they may be, physical or mental and psychological, to find uh, solutions that do not harm them. Isn't that kind of the nature of medicine? I know you're not a doctor, but isn't that kind of the nature? Neither am I, but I know that much. This is this is an area of air quote medicine that has gone completely off the rails because that physician could see no way of, there was there was no way to say no to anyone. If a patient came in and wanted these treatments and the parent said yes, and at least the therapist said, 
oh, I saw you once. You're good to go. We said yes to everyone. And the thing that the physicians could not figure out is how to say no. And that is not how medicine is supposed to work. Did, no it appear, did it appear, Jamie, that any of them wanted to? They were really literally, you know, like maybe in some agreement with you and wanted to say no, but the, the policies were the policies, and so they just kind of had to keep on rubber stamping all of these uh, these medications? I don't even know if it's the policies. It's this ideological capture of this idea that these kids are just who they say they are and that we need to just affirm them or else. And that is putting the decision-making power of a differential diagnosis in the hands of a child. And the other thing is, kids don't do well with that kind of of position. Kids need us as adults. Their mental health is better when we give them some breaks, when we say, hey, no, you do actually need to go to sleep. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, uh, the patients would have done better if we were not putting these huge decisions about the rest of their lives in their hands. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the reasons why um, minors are minors, um, and they can't make life-altering decisions without the approval of their parents. Why they can't get tattoos until they're 18, it's why they can't smoke, it's why they can't drink, it's why they can't do a whole lot of things, sign a contract, a legally binding contract under the age of 18, because it is believed um, that their brains are not formative, uh, formative enough at that age to make sound decisions that should be legally binding. And yet we're letting them make these decisions, and, and parents are, are encouraging of it in many ways. Um, let me ask you this. Did you ever encounter any parents who were bringing their kids but who were not supportive of this, but they wanted to learn more and say, you know, my daughter thinks that she wants to be a boy or my son thinks that he wants to be a girl. We're not for this. Um, Can you explain this to to them? Did any of them come in hesitantly but just to try to convince their kids that, no, this isn't the way to go? We had a few, but one Mm -hmm. of the things that I heard feedback from some of those parents Mm -hmm was that they would come in and then they would later say, I feel like you were pushing an agenda on us because we were, some of the doctors were directly saying to parents in front of their children, if you do not give this to your child, your child will commit suicide. We've heard that. We've heard that line, right? They say, would you rather have a, a living yes, daughter, to, exactly. uh, you know, about their boy or a dead son? Um, and that is that is just complete manipulation. Absolutely. Uh, and, and in my view, and again, not being a doctor, uh, that's malpractice. Um, you're taking confused and depressed and anxious kids. You wrote this. I'm going to read this from your uh, your very important article here. The girls who came to us had many comorbidities, depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, obesity. Many were diagnosed with autism or had autism-like symptoms. And a report last year on a British pediatric transgender center found that about a third of the patients referred there were on the autism spectrum. We are talking about severe mental health issues, and this clinic was pushing as a, as a remedy for their mental health issues body disfigurement is that is that a fair summary absolutely yeah absolutely 
Okay, so so again, and I and I know I, I'm 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 oversimplifying this, but when you have all of those things that you listed that these patients came in with depression, anxiety, ADHD, eating disorders, etc., how is it that you, as an intake person, and and a case manager? And, and the doctor is looking at this and saying, you have psychological conditions that need to be dealt with before you can come back here and talk to us about, about physical remedies like, you know, chemical castration, puberty blockers, and so forth. How did they not refer them to mental health first and foremost? So I think the phrase that we saw come out of England is diagnostic overshadowing. So what is happening in these hospitals is if a kid has all of those other things but says that they are trans, it's almost like all of the other medical interventions stop and that becomes the sole pathway. You write, Jamie Reed, if you just turn on the radio, Jamie Reed is our guest. Jamie Reed is a former case manager and um, uh, intake specialist at a transgender center in St. Louis. She is now blowing the whistle on what that transgender center does and did and uh, probably what the other ones are doing as well is they urge and encourage these kids as young as possible to start the transition process if they come in saying that they're trans. So, So, Jamie, you wrote... Uh, among many other very important parts about this, that, quote, the doctors privately recognize these false self-diagnoses as a manifestation of social contagion. They even acknowledge that suicide has an element of social contagion. But when I, meaning you, said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, the doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. So they privately recognize that this is... This is social. This is not an actual um, uh, gender dysphoric situation, but these kids were all just being basically peer pressured by their social circles, um, and yet they, they, they privately did that, but publicly when it came time to make decisions, they said, yeah, let's go. Absolutely. And I will say, because I do want to speak to your listeners in Ohio, mm-hmm. I do believe that kind of care that I saw in the center in St. Louis is the kind of care that's being practiced throughout the United States. And one of the ways that I know that is that almost all of these doctors do talk to each other. There is a listserv, an email listserv, that if you are a practitioner of pediatric gender medicine in the U.S., almost every single um, center is on that listserv. And from what I know of how they talk on that listserv, this is the way that is almost universally the way things are going. So I, believe, I hope that, yeah. Well, I, I was going to say I believe every word of that, and I'm very, very concerned about Ohio. I don't know if you're very familiar at all with uh, uh, last month we had an election uh, on a constitutional amendment. It was it was issue one. It was ostensibly an abortion-on-demand uh, uh, constitutional amendment, but they worded the language of the amendment very, very loosely and very vaguely. Uh, and said that every individual, not adult, every individual, which now encompasses children, has the right to make their own reproductive health decisions. Reproductive health decisions can be, of course, uh, abor- abortion, you know, uh, questionable. But reproductive health decisions can also apply to 
chemical castration and cross-sex hormones that sterilize and make one infertile. So we're very concerned here, Jamie, that there are going to be a whole lot of young people whose parents are cut out of the loop because it says specifically individual without being age restrictive to 18 and over that they can make their own reproductive decisions and that, and that it would include sterilizing themselves. Isn't that always why the devil is in the details? You really need to understand exactly what some of these bills and some of these guidelines say. Well, you're exactly right. It's one of the things those of us who opposed that amendment, unfortunately, it passed by a wide margin. And now we're very concerned about what's going to happen with a lot of these kids and parents who are not going to be allowed to stop them as long as they can find uh, the uh, kids can find money or clinics willing to provide it for them uh, affordably. Uh, the parents aren't going to have a say. So we're alarmed about that. I want to I want to bring up Jamie is a. St. Louis native who was working at a transgender center there from 2018 to 2022. She was working as an intake specialist and as a case manager, and she uh, thought she was helping kids. She thought she was helping treat kids with gender dysphoria which might mean turning them away from things like transitioning. She found out over the course of her time there that the intent was to transition virtually all of them and as young as possible. She is now blowing the whistle on them, and she continues with us on AM 1420, The Answer. So, Jamie, I want to mention your personal life just for a moment, only because you do in your your essay or your article or whatever we're calling this very important uh, whistleblowing screed that you wrote. Um, you are a queer woman, and you are married to a trans man, which if I understand my language right, that means this is a biological female who identifies as a male, correct? Correct. Okay. So clear, you, clearly you're not somebody that would be called transphobic. People like me, I'm called transphobic all the time because I do not like what they are doing to these kids, particularly the social contagion aspect of this, and the doctors and the clinicians and the the others who are who are pushing this that you are blowing the whistle on. But you have a different perspective. You're not certainly not a transphobe. You are married to someone who is a trans person. So how do you how do you square that? Um, trying to tell parents, hey, this is. This is probably not a good thing for you to be doing with your young kids when I don't know what your your uh, uh, your spouse's uh, uh, situation was in terms of when uh, that person transitioned. But but how do you how do you balance that with your personal life and your your professional obligations here as you as you see them? So first, I want your listeners to know there are so many adult LGBT people who absolutely do not agree with medically transitioning kids. I work every day with a huge number of adults who transitioned as adults who absolutely do not believe kids should be medically transitioning. So just to put that out there. That's good. Um, I know there's a whole there's a whole organization. I apologize for interrupting your answer, but there's a group called Gays Against Groomers that I've had on the air. The uh, one of the leaders or president or chair or whatever it is um, that are very very adamant about this. They don't want kids being groomed into this uh, you know into this trans lifestyle, if you will, particularly if they don't suffer from actual gender dysphoria, but they're just confused kids succumbing to a lot of pressure from a lot of different spaces. In other words, in the grooming world. So I know there are a lot of people in the LGBTQ community, as it were, uh, that that absolutely oppose this. So I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that, but please continue. I think 
part of why it's easy for me to square this is that the science, the medical evidence does not support the continuing use of puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and surgery in children. If the science supported this, we would see robust long-term studies that showed the clear benefit and the benefit that outweighed the risk. These kids are going to be, especially the young boys who are put on puberty blockers, they are going to be sterilized for life. And they're also going to have their sexual function basically taken away for life too. And the benefits to that just simply do not outweigh what we're doing to kids. And the original place that this entire idea came from, from the Netherlands, is rethinking this as well as so many European nations. The evidence just isn't there. Why do you think that is? What makes the United States different? And that may be a big sociological question there, but you're right. Um, in the Netherlands and in you know a lot of, of Western Europe in particular, um, they are pulling way back from this massive, hey, let's be quick to trans uh, kids or, or you know, to diagnose people who are not suffering from gender dysphoria with gender dysphoria. Um, why do you suppose that America were so far behind that? I think it probably comes down to two, two reasons. One of those is something that we probably would clearly not agree on, but a lot of these places have socialized, nationalized medical systems where their medical care is provided in a way that it is paid for by the government, and the government requires that there is strong evidence that something has good potential to work in order for it to be paid for. And also, they collect a lot of data. They have data on all of their citizens who are using the national health services so they can look at long-term data and they can show, hey, this is not having good outcomes. Here in the U.S., we just have a way different system where you can get your health insurance directly from your employer. Your insurance you know, might or might not cover certain things. We don't have a robust national data that up so we can't look at every single kid that's been put on a puberty blocker. It's not captured in a national data set. So, you know, there is some reasons why countries who have systems like that go to show that it's not an effective good treatment. Canada is a little bit of a weird outlier right now. Um, They have embraced this fully. They do have more of a socialized medical system. Um, I think some of my friends who live in Canada just feel like they are, you know, very close to the U.S. on this and have a lot of ideological alignment in the U.S. Jamie, um, thank you for that. That's uh, that's as good of an explanation as I can expect because I can't quite put my finger on why we were doing it so differently. But the health care system is, uh, and health insurance system is certainly a big part of it. I get it. Um, let's talk about the dangers now and why you were spurred to action, to leave the clinic and to do what you're doing right now. You spend a great deal of time in this essay that you wrote talking about some of the side effects and talking about some of the after effects of those who went through with the blockers, then they went through with the cross-sex hormones, and then they went through with the actual surgeries, top and bottom or, 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 or either or. And you have some horrific stories here to tell. Can you go into some of what these... Um, uh, side effects and these after effects are? Yeah, these treatments are 
incredibly hard on the body and they have so many known long-term side effects, which is, again, why it has to be an adult who makes the decision. But if you're started on testosterone, you can pretty much guarantee long-term you're going to have problems with your heart health, cholesterol. Um, I don't know if I can say all these things on the air, but you will see significant vaginal atrophy, pain, um, sexual dysfunction, urinary problems. Um, most people have to go on to have a hysterectomy if they're on testosterone for a long time. You know, things like male pattern baldness, um, problems with weight, you know, those are, those are significant challenges. And then we just saw a number of young patients who were expressing regret and harm really quite quickly. One of the stories that kind of broke my heart is we had a young person who had top surgery so they had their breast surgically removed mm -hmm. and they called back within three months begging for the surgeons to put their breasts back on and what I felt like was medical malfeasance was that the surgeons wouldn't even call her back and when I went to leave the center I found out she was now pregnant and knowing that she had so much regret from that surgery and now we had also taken away her her chance to maybe even breastfeed her own child um those are the things that still haunt me and cause me a lot of um pain to know that i was so complicit in that system that is a tragic thing to hear but um not a surprising one. Um, how can it not be that way? We we are seeing and hearing more people with the courage now who went through this mistake um, and and are detransitioning or trying to detransition. But the reality is, Jamie, and you know this from your experiences here, there is no way to detransition. I mean, you can say, okay, I no longer want to be called she or her. I want to be called back to going going back to he and him, and and I can stop taking cross sex hormones and other things. But the damage is done. The damage when we say irreversible, we mean literally irreversible, right? You can't sew breasts back on. You can't take a, you know, a, 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 a vagio is it vagioplasty is what they call it, or whatever the creation of yeah. fake one, and 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 reverse yeah. that and put your your male genitalia back on. I mean, when we say irreversible, this is a lifetime decision, which is why it's so astounding i know that we're allowing kids to have any say whatsoever in such a life uh, you know forever decision yeah these are completely irreversible and some of the things that get kind of like oh you know it's not that big of a deal but when you think about for a young girl to have her voice drop and have the voice that everybody for the rest of her life if she gets on the phone is going to think they're talking to a man mm -hmm. that's that has a lifetime impact that that person is going to have to find ways to get through. And I don't think those should be undervalued or diminished. Even some of the changes with testosterone really, really quickly through the vaginal area will be with that person for life. And I just, I think that we are doing a disservice to kids to allow these things to happen to their physical bodies when their physical bodies deserve to be intact when they're 40, 50, 60, and they deserve to have those rights to make those decisions for themselves. Jamie, um, in your essay, you include a few um, 
examples of messages that you got uh, from and, and that the clinic and also correspondence between yourself and other members of the clinic. And there's one <clears throat> from June 9th of last year, 2022, um, in which a parent um, expresses some serious hostility toward the clinic for um, allowing what they themselves wanted to do with their kid because of the impact on the kid. Can you share that? I think you're probably talking about the mom who um, they it's, had put a it's obviously on redacted. Her. Yeah, it's redacted, so I don't know uh, the specific person, obviously. But yes, go ahead. So I've actually had uh, some really good follow-up contact with with this parent. Um, so we put a puberty blocker in. She felt bullied from the beginning to to consent, but you know she was under the impression if she consented to this treatment, she would have the right as the parent to withdraw that consent later. And she went on to email us and she said, my child is a shell of their former self and their child was now on about five psychotropic medications, psychiatric medications. And she was demanding as the mom that she wanted this blocker removed. Mm -hmm. And and we did not do that. We did not remove the blocker. Um, I I can thankfully say now that the blocker has been removed and that her child is doing so much better. Um, she she stays in contact with me. Um, she fought tooth and nail to get that to happen, and and that again just went to show me that we were we were outside of medical norms in our practice. If I'm a parent and I say, sure, I'm gonna I'm gonna let my kid try this medicine, I have the right to stop that. And you said when she tried to revoke her consent, they would not accept that at the beginning. That, correct. We would not. Why? Why, why would the clinic say, I mean, if the if the parent has to sign off on giving it, how can child, the parent not sign off on removing it? Because the child still wanted it in. Despite the parent's description of her problems, her her mental health, behavioral health, anxiety, and so on and so forth, being a shell of herself. Right. So so, so whatever, the, whatever the, the child wants, the child gets, um, except for the very beginning, the parent has to sign off on that. Does the parent know at the beginning that once you sign off and say, we want to start oh. this, do, do, are they given informed consent you, that they no longer have it. A, Go ahead. You just nailed it. I, I sent an email at, while we were just debating this, and my email said, if this is the way that we're going to do this moving forward, you need to tell every single parent when they consent at the beginning, they do know, they will no longer have the right to remove their consent. Because part of this came down to me also being a parent. I am a mom of five kids, and I take my responsibility as a parent really seriously, but also I I think that my rights as a parent is really serious. And one of the things I know that is being talked about in Ohio right now is that this is a parental rights issue. Well, sure, on some level it is, but I think that parents everywhere on either side of the political divide need to know that we were also walking all over parents, right? We thought we knew better, and these doctors feel like they are able to play God and that it's their decision, and that's what goes. Well, if your doctors are telling parents that if you don't do this, your kid's going to kill himself, what parent? the parent has no rights then because the parents are literally being told by a medical professional they have to do this. Correct. That's, Correct. That, that's an astounding uh, thing to think about. Um. Again, I don't want to cross any lines here or go out of bounds when I ask you, but again, given your personal situation, you have two children from a previous marriage or relationship, right? 
and yeah. then three, I think I read it, is three, three foster kids that you've adopted or are adopting? Yes. Okay. Um, given that and given your spouse, um, what, what do you do and how do you handle it if one or multiple of your kids come to you and say, uh, Mom, um, I want to I do the transition thing? What do you do? Um, none of my children have expressed anything like that. And one of the things when I was working in the center that I came to the realization of pretty quickly, and again, it wasn't just me. It was another coworker of mine. We both came to the realization and said, we would never bring our kids here. You wouldn't bring them there. Would you bring them, would to, not, a, would you bring them to a different clinic that maybe did things differently? Um, if my child expressed issues around their gender. One of the things I will say is that I do fully support the idea about gender nonconformity. I don't think if you're a girl, you have to like makeup and want to wear a dress and high heels. I don't even own any high heels. I think we should support kids being able to be kids. And part of that is exploring things like what clothes do you like to wear? How do you want your hair cut? I want to go back to this idea that we support kids thinking about things like you're a girl. That means you can have any job you want. If you want to be a mom, you can be a mom. If you don't, you don't. And if you're a boy, you can have any job you want. Going back to this idea that um, gender has to be some locked in, you know, thing is just absurd. I don't even know how we got here. Part of what I saw wrong in these gender centers, too, is that they were basically, you know, if a if a kid came in and liked, you know, Barbies and they were a boy, we were saying, you must be trans. That's absurd. Well, you know what's interesting about what you just said is that typically boys who express an interest in more feminine things like dolls or makeup or whatever, they're assumed to be gay. Uh, and there is a high crossover um, between gay and and those who decide they're trans or those who maybe think they're trans or who get, you know, roped into, you know, gay kids and, and it can, just like straight kids can be roped into the social contagion. But but yeah. there there is a close correlation there. And again, you're 100 percent right. A boy can be a makeup artist and be straight as uh, as an arrow. And, uh, you know, and a girl can be a fighter pilot and it and be as, yeah. as completely, you know, female and feminine as, as anything. Nobody is saying that gender. Gender roles have to be adhered to, but gender and sex, they are two different things. And you, you can you can have feminism, feminist or masculine characteristics. That doesn't change who you are, right? Right, absolutely. And some of the trans adults that I work with every day, they have always recognized biological sex. For them, their medical transition as adults was basically the last resort to deal with their long-term gender dysphoria. But they have never never denied the reality of biological sex and they've always recognized that this is something about their outward presentation to the world that makes them feel like they can fit in the way that they feel best but but no we we have completely turned so much of this upside down and on some level it's no wonder kids are confused because we're we're telling them these things. Oh, you can just change your sex. That's not even no. That's not possible. So, do the doctors that tell these parents who come into this clinic that you used to work for, and to clinics like them here in Ohio and all around the country, which you were very specific about pointing out, 
when they tell them that if you don't do this, your kid is likely to, to try to commit suicide, do they also tell them that those who have transitioned um, uh, as early as they were allowed to transition, particularly with the surgeries, when they get into their 20s, they are 19 times more likely to commit suicide than the general population of the same age range? Do they tell them that? No. Yeah. That, that's that's kind of important because that is the regret that so many of them live with, and they realize after the fact what you said a few minutes ago. It is completely irreversible, and once they decide they can't, they want to reverse, they want to detransition, and they can't, uh, and they're never going to be able to change things back. That's when they take their own lives again. Nineteen times, not nineteen percent higher, but nineteen times more likely to try to or to carry out suicide, which is something that I think everyone should know. I want to I want to close our conversation with the way you closed your your article. The doctors you worked with uh, um, at the transgender center frequently said about the treatment of our patients, "quote We are building the plane while we are flying it." Uh, no one should be a passenger on that kind of aircraft. I think that's a very apt uh, a metaphor, and that is pretty much what is going on here because everything that these clinics are doing is experimental, isn't it? Yeah. It is. And, and, and to put an adult on a plane like that might be one thing, but, but we are doing this to children. Yeah, exactly right. Um, let me actually close with this then, just because, again, we're emphasizing the influence on kids. Where are you when it comes to the drag queen story hours and the Pride Month um, parades in every city in which naked or nearly naked people um, are celebrated for their sex and their sexuality and their sexual orientation and they're coming up to children i mean i'm sure you've seen the you know the pictures and the videos of you know these furries or whatever these people who identify as dogs putting on their their masks and their thongs and crawling on all fours up to kids on parade routes and letting them pet them i mean this is the type of thing that is i think it it, it needs to be it needs to be addressed. How do you, again, as a queer woman in a, in a, in a marriage with a trans man, how do you feel about those things? Uh, how I personally feel about them is that they really have no place around children. Where I am really pushing for legal changes around um, these kind of issues, I think the best bet right now for laws <clears throat> is around medically transitioning kids. That's where I want to see and support laws. And mm-hmm. also where I want to see and support laws change is around sports and um, protecting women's sports. Um, I, I think I, I, I agree on some level with um, pride should not be for kids, but I think that maybe a law is not the best way to get at that. I think if we can start scaling back things law-wise, with sports mm-hmm. and with medicine, we will slowly start to see the rest of those things be scaled back. That is a very interesting perspective on it, because I kind of had been thinking about it the other way, that if we scale back those other things, then the laws will be easier to change. But you're going in the reverse, and you might be exactly right. 
you might be exactly right. If we can get the laws changed, then maybe these things that are being pushed that can't be acted upon will start to slowly recede as well. Very, very, very accurate observation. Well, Jamie Reed, I thank you for coming on. You are a courageous person for doing what you're doing. I'm sure you have become a pariah of sorts in the LGBTQ community for for daring to speak out the way that you are. So that takes a lot of courage. Uh, I thank you for that. And I think ultimately, if we get a few more people like you, I think uh, maybe maybe you know all of all of um, uh, decent. I don't want to phrase it that way. I don't want to make it decency and indecency. But um, uh, our society and our rational. cultural norms, <laughs> rational people will thank you as well. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. You you thank nailed you so it. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you so much. God bless. Keep up the work, and uh, maybe we'll check in with you again. Thank you so much. All right, that's uh, Jamie Reed. Uh, that's an important conversation to have. That's a tough conversation to have too, but it really, really is. We're trying to. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.